HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, open year-round. Learn more at bbg.org. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of the next episode of Meet and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We're fresh off our trip to Slow Food Nations in Denver, a festival that brought together advocates to discuss the future of food. And this week, we're bringing you a special episode inspired by the new Equity, Inclusion, and Justice Manifesto released by Slow Food USA. If we're going to solve food security, we need to say these people have a right to good, healthful food. But we have to do that in a way that kind of insulates this system from the vagaries of the market. Because when you're at a table with somebody, you recognize their humanity. And when somebody cooks for you and serves you food, in a way they're saying they care about your survival. How can we put things into our own hands and have the people of Puerto Rico gain real access to healthy local foods? Listen to Meet and 3 this week for our highlights from Slow Food Nations. Available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Moxie Rosenblum. My dad, Harry Rosenblum, hosts Feast Your Ears on Heritage Radio Network. Right now, HRN is having a summer membership drive. Becoming a member is so easy, and you'll help support shows like my dad's. You can sign up for a one-time donation or become a monthly sustaining member by visiting heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Let's keep food radio on the airwaves this summer. Welcome to the Grape Nation, your weekly wine journey. Our guest is Didier Mariotti. We'll talk to Didier about growing and making champagne for mum. We'll taste a mum rosé that Didier brought in for our weekly wine sip. I'm your host, Sam Ben Ruby. Stay with us for the Grape Nation on the Heritage Radio Network. We bring wine to the people. 
Didier Mariotti joined Champagne House GH Mum in 2003 and became the Chef du Cave in 2006 at the world's third largest and France's number one champagne house. Didier oversees hundreds of hectares of grapes in eight villages, villages in the Champagne region, producing the iconic red-banded GH Mum Cordon Rouge. Didier also travels the world, as he is here now, as a brand ambassador for GH Mum. Welcome to the Grape Nation, Didier. Thank you. Did I get the intro right? Yeah, I think it's perfect. Okay. All right, let's tell people who you are. So what I want you to do is spend a few minutes, not forever, um, about your journey in life and wine that got you to where you are currently, which is the Chef du Cave at GH Mum. Okay, um, I think it was, the story started in 1995. Okay. Uh, just arrived in Champagne. I was just like, I was supposed to work in the beer industry. Okay. And I had to do a six-month intern and decided to do it in Champagne. And I just realized at the time that Champagne is much better than beer to drink and to Got enjoy. Got that right. Yeah. I love beer still, but okay. um, if you think about Champagne, I think it's the only... I'd say let's wine and spirit you can drink 24 hours a day, which mm-hmm. is quite magic. Agree. So I decided to stay in Champagne to specialize in Champagne. So I, I worked for a few houses before and I joined Moom in 2003, correct? Okay. And became chief winemaker in 2006. Let, we don't need to talk about the houses, but what were you doing in Champagne at those houses? Were you doing mostly winemaking, working in the cellar? Yeah, I started exclusively. There. I started as a winemaker, so I was in charge of first vinification, then I started to 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 taste the wine, to be part of of the blend panels, and right. Yeah, I was in, I was in charge of of all winemaking. Okay, and just tell everyone your title, Chef Ducave, is what exactly is that? So, if you translate literally, Chef Ducave is chief of the cellar. Okay. Which is uh, why chief of the cellar, because the biggest treasury in Champagne is the cellar. Right. So, I'm, in fact, I'm in charge of, of all the winemaking and blending, of course, but also I'm in charge of, of um, taking care of the bottle when they are aging in our cellar. And just to give you an idea, for Moom, it's about 25 million bottles aging in the cellar. 25 million. 25, more than 25 million, yes. All right, I was going to ask you about this later, but... Now's a good time. Describe, so 25 million doesn't fit in a closet. Describe what the caves are and look like. I, I love the cave. I love to walk in the cave because you have to go 20 meters in the ground. Um, okay. <laughs> so it's, you have to imagine that the, the winery is in, in the middle of the city. And, and you, have to, to, you have to go down. Um, and it's, it has been dug by in like 200 years ago uh, in the choke. And it's huge galleries, and we have about 22 kilometers of galleries uh, underground. 22 kilometers yeah. of galleries. Yeah. And, and we store... It's crazy. It's, yeah, it's crazy, but at the same time, it's so nice. Um, it's, I can it's, imagine. It's very peaceful. It's very quiet. I mean, it's, you know, your, your, your iPhone is not working, so nobody can reach you. Okay. You, you can walk. It's a great escape. It's, yeah, it's a very great escape. It's very... It's, it's quiet. Very quiet. And you just enjoy... Watching the, the bottles aging, and um, and all the treasury, you have all the old vintages. So all the history of the house is also in the cellar. So, is it? It sounds to me. I have no idea. Is it 
among or the largest underground sellers in Champaign? I mean, are there a few other Champaign houses that... We, we are the third biggest uh, house, so I would say uh, we have the third biggest seller okay. in Champagne. All right. So it's, it's right up there with everything. Um, what, what place do you think, what place in Champagne do you think GH Mum holds? I mean, it's been around a while. When you look back, your tenure there, you're still there. I'm, I'm, means I love the house, um, and the, every house are, are different. Um, so when you join a house, you join a house, and you have to understand the spirit of the house. Right. Um, I remember the first time when I arrived at, at GH Moom, um, the first tasting was um, a vintage tasting, so all back vintages, just to understand the spirit of the house. Um, when you taste for a house, you don't taste for yourself. You have to understand what the house is expecting from you. Right. And all, the blend is always about the house. You have to respect the style. You have to imagine also how the, the blend will change because people are changing also. The taste is changing. Right. But you have to keep the history and the spirit of the house always when you make the blend. Right. That's important. Um, have you observed since you got in the business, you've been at a few champagne houses, you've been here a while, have you seen changes in Champagne, in the region, in the wine itself, let's say in the last five years, 10 years, 15 years? Yeah, there are a few changes um, in the vineyard first because we want to to have, to have a vineyard which is more sustainable, so we would take care of this um, by trying to reduce all the treatments. Um, um, the yield also has decreased a little bit. Um, when you say treatment, more natural yeah more natural treatment as much as possible so you're moving towards that yeah okay we, we try um as much as possible because, but you have to to think about the vineyard in, in champagne is the norris vineyard in france so if we have m much more rain than other vineyards but we try really to reduce to to if we have to to do something we do it at the right time just to limit what we are using uh, yeah we want to be more sustainable and the idea is not to work just one house it's just to bring everybody together to do to do this. Uh, so Champagne is always working like this. We try to to have all the people together uh, to be more sustainable. Right. So sustainability is definitely a direction you guys and the area. Yeah, and, and I think we have to. It's it's very important uh, to be sustainable. I'm glad uh, to hear that. The vineyard and also you have a big footprint in the area. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, and it's about legacy also. If you think about winemaking, it's always about legacy. Uh, all the bottles we have in the cellar are the history of the house, and we want to give it to the next generation. So right. we have to take care of this. Right. Um, would it be fair to say that one of the changes last five, ten years is this grower champagne revolution, which I wouldn't say is the opposite of what you do, but it's a different thing, a grower champagne. Do you see sort of uh, increase in that? Not really. No? No. Um, for me, it's just uh, it's just an indication to see if a, a market is mature or not mature. Right. So, in fact, uh, we are all working together. And and so only the big houses can open new markets, um, train people to understand champagne, educate people about champagne, what's champagne versus sparkling or versus other wine. 
And, and for me, when the market starts to be mature, it's when you see growers coming on, uh, on this market. Right. And it's, it's, I like it uh, because it's just a way to say Champagne is not just bubbles. And you have different houses, you do have different growers, and they try all to express something which is our terror or, or the spirit of the house. And even from, if you talk about growers from one village, they will all express something different. Even the fruit are coming from the same village. So it just shows right. the diversity of champagne. And I'm very proud of this. Right. That's so, yeah, for me, it's not growers versus houses. It's just right. we are working that, together to that, give that's up That's a champagne. great answer yeah. because e even though maybe there has been a change, everyone is coexisting. It's important. And for the better good of all champagne, you yeah. know, it, it's a good thing. Um, I want to ask you about something that you probably were responsible for helping, and I, I don't want to get into it, but Mum experienced a lot of corporate changes in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, changeovers, turnovers, and all of that. that that's sort of, you know, behind us, but you were at a point where you had to address that to some point. Was it quality? Was it reputation? It was both. It was? It's, reputation so, is linked to quality. So what did you do? <coughs> I, joined, I joined the house because of the history about the past of the house, and I, it was, the past was not so good in, in the 80s or 90s. In the recent past. Yeah, recent past. And, and for me, it was a, a good challenge um, because Moom was number one house in the 60s, 50s, 60s. The quality was very high, and, and the reputation of the house was amazing. Um, and for different reasons, the quality decreased uh, in the end of the 80s and 90s. But as a winemaker, just to join a house, to be able to rebuild the house, uh, the credibility of the house, to work on, on the blend, and, and to show that we can be back to what we were in the past, is, a, is an amazing challenge. And when you are able to to define the rules you want to, um, and when the company told, tell you, you have, you can decide the rules who will follow you, it's, it's really amazing to do this. So right. we worked very hard to rebuild the, the credibility of the house, and I think Moom is, is back on track right now. Right. But it takes a lot of time. It means work on the reserve wine to work on the aging. It's not in one or two years you can see the <laughs> results. So you stepped in, got your feet and hands dirty, getting uh, things back on track, it sounds like, right? Yeah. Right. All right. So champagne, sometimes people forget about it because they just think it's a bubbly celebratory wine. But it starts as a wine, <laughs> you know, from grapes from the vineyard. Um, you use grapes from eight different villages, right, in the region. So I guess I'm getting to style. So how does terroir, the grapes, winemaking, and blending play into the constant expression that you're trying to make or the house style. So now let's get into the the mix and all of that. Y you know, you alluded earlier that, you know, mom has a style and all of that. And I think you can go back to vintage wines and current crops. Tell me, tell me about what makes mom mom. Everything starts from, from the vineyard, from the fruits, of course, but also the vintage has a huge impact. Uh, so first for me it's always to taste the wine and I have to taste between 200 and 300 different wines base wine every vintage um, and then I, I start to get an idea of, of the potential of each wine 
And the only question I have when I taste the wine is it's not it's good or not good. It's how I can use it, in which blend I can use it. And then, so the terroir has an impact of how the wine are after the vintage. And then you start to work on the blend, which is, in fact, the, the, the way to express the, the house style. Using the terroir, blending is just an expression of the house style. So, expand a little on that. The, you have to accomplish or achieve a style consistent year to year. I mean, it doesn't have to be the same or exact, but that's through blending. Yeah. And what does that mean? I mean, what if the vintage isn't great? How do you make it better? Um, Reserve so, wine? or Yeah, if the vintage is not a, a very good vintage, first I will decide not to make a vintage blend. Okay. And, and then I will... So you will not slap a year yeah, to that. Exactly. So I, How often does that happen? Um, for Moom, uh, I would say two years and three I, did, I do a vintage. Okay. Just to give you an idea. Um, okay. So if I decide not to do a vintage, I, I will refocus really on the non-vintage. Um, and I will use all the wine. Um, the reserve wine are very important also for the consistency of, of the blend. Um, right. And I moved from 25% reserve wine in the beginning of the 2000, 2000 to now 30%, 35%. So you'll tweak those percentages. Yeah, I've increased the percentage because my reserve wine are, are coming from previous blend of Cordon Rouge. So it's like I have five years in reserve of Cordon Rouge, and it's, it's really like the backbone of, of the blend. So when I start to do the blending, uh, I do some different trials. Um, and the recipe is always different every year. Right. So the idea is... But you'll use more reserve so that recipe will get closer yeah. to what you're trying to get to. Exactly. So I always start to, to make big differences in all the trials at the beginning. It's, it's like um, uh, a lot of reserve wine, less reserve wine, a more Chardonnay or less Chardonnay Pinot Noir, depends. Right. And then this is the first round, and then... I find one trial which is quite interesting. I can feel the spirit, what I'm looking for. Right. So I go to the second round and I, it's clo I close the differences. So the differences are less and less every new round. Sometimes I need four, five, six, seven year round, it depends. But if the vintage is difficult, I will need more rounds to find the results. But the, the idea is really to start from a large difference, a lot of differences, and then you close. It's like a pyramid. Right. And when you reach the top of the pyramid, you know that the blend is very close to what you're looking for. Right. Um, you know, going back to Grower Champagne and the way things are changing, the direction today is to talk about wines in terms of terroir. Mm -hmm. And I think you addressed that. Terroir is just sort of a part, e even though it's sort of happening now, it's just a part of what you're doing to get to the wines that you're trying to make, right? Terroir is everything which can change a wine. So it can be the, so the soil, the subsoil, the climate, the weather, the edge of the vines, the exposure, position on the slope. Right. Everything can, which can change the wine when you, when you harvest uh, the fruits. But then what is important also is its expression, what you want to express. So you can have two, two fruits, uh, fruits from the same parcel, from the same terroir. Right. Vinification will make a huge difference. Sure. And, and the best example, if you want to understand this, is to go to Burgundy. And, and Burgundy, the terroir are clearly identified. 
and, and part of my family is in Bourgogne, so I know quite well this part. Right. But if you go to, let's say, um, Claude Bays, you have several growers in Claude Bays, and you, you, it's the same terroir, and you get different wine. Totally. Because then, after the terroir, it's vinification, it's the art of blending in champagne. So it's the winemaker which decides how he wants to express the terroir, right. and it's his own idea of east of the terroir. Now, are you using grapes from the eight different villages? I mean, you're using different exposures, different soils, yeah, right? And you're contracting grapes too, right? Yeah. So I have like 218 hectares of vineyard, Moom vineyard, right. which are from eight villages. And then I have contracts with a lot of growers. Right. Uh, and it's about 100, more than 100 different villages additional to the blend. Wow. Well, with 25 million uh, oh. bottles in the uh, cellar, you're going to need to talk to some other people. Um, your wines are known to be Pinot-based wines mm -hmm. more than others. Is that true? Yeah. So tell me the two Pinots. Tell me why. Tell me blends and percentages. You know, not exactly, but generally. Pinot, it's uh, the house style, and I was very happy to join the house because I love Pinot. My Pinot what? Pinot Noir. And? Pinot Meunier. Okay. But you most, use both? I use both. But mostly Noir? But I would say from our vineyard, it's mostly Pinot Noir. Okay. So if you look at our vineyard, it's about 80% Pinot Noir, and it's maybe 15% Pinot Meunier and 5% and Chardonnay. Wow, that's... Our vineyard, so it's really like Pinot Noir dominant. And, and mostly Grand Cru. So we are very lucky because we are using, well, we have fruits from the best villages in Champagne, especially for the Pinot Noir. Right. So describe to my audience in general terms when you have a highly based Pinot Champagne versus a Blanc de Blanc or a highly based, what are the characteristic differences? The fruits. Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier also, but especially Pinot Noir. It's a, it's a it's fruitier, fruit-driven? Yeah, it's a fruit-driven wine. Uh, and for me, if you drink the, the Grand Cordon, it's really this idea of you grab some fruit directly from the trees, right. you can hit the fruits, like a pear or peach or apricot, and you have like the juicy of the fruits and still some freshness and some acidity. More that than... A Chardonnay yeah. based, a Blanc de Chardonnay Blanc. will be more, much more like um, citrus, lemony flavors, white right. flowers, very elegant. More biscuity. Biscuity, mineral also. Right. Where with the Pinot Noir and the Pinot Meunier, you get more the fruits. And for me, it's really the idea of the juice, juicy fruits. Uh, but not sweet or cloying, just more fruit forward, how would you say? Yeah, it's, it's the roundness of the fruits, but it's not the sweetness of the fruits. Right. Good so you still have it. this uh, green and acidic freshness which maintain a long finish. So it's good for our listeners to know if that's the type of style. Man, this is a champagne right up your uh, alley. Um, I mean, it's good anytime anyway, but there's a style there, and, you know, we just described it. Um, tell, tell our listeners what dosage is, and I know dosage is important to your wines. What is it? How do you use it? What's the effect on the so, wine? Yeah, dosage is the last moment when we can do something or we can 
change something in into the wine. Um, so we do the blend. We make the blend. We do the bottling during the aging. In, so when we do the bottling, it's, it's still it's a still wine. It's a wine without any bubbles. And and we start an, a second alcoholic fermentation in the bottle just to create the bubbles of f- the fizz. And after that, we have to expulse the dead yeast. And and just right at this moment we will add some sugar, and it's for before me before the second fermentation after, at the end of the second fermentation at the end of the when second when we do ferment- the disgorgement, so we we extract the dead yeast at the disgo- during the disgorgement right. and we add at the same time the sugar. Why? Why? Because it's just to bring a little bit more roundness to the wine, because um, the wine can be a bit tough uh, um, after like two years, three years aging. And for me, it's not also about the sugar. It's also the one you use to make this liquor. It's like a syrup. Right. It's, it's quite sweet. So, so the, the dosage comes in the form of a liqueur? It's, it's a liqueur. It's a sugar it, mixture. Yeah, it's a six It's not spo- teaspoons of sugar. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a wine, uh, and you, you add sugar into, uh, into a wine, it. and it's about 600 grams per liter sugar. Okay. So quite, the concentration is quite high. But for me, the most important is the wine you are using to make this liquor. And I'm using a lot of old reserve wine. And it's why for GH Boom, we have a quite low dosage. Because um, I'm, I decided that I, I will fix the dosage and I will work more on the reserve wine I'm, I'm using to create this liquor. Which brings something, which brings the last touch. And I will give you an example. If you think about food, you can have the best ingredients, you can have the best chef, but if you don't use the right amount of salt on paper... Tasteless. Exactly. And for me, it's as important as the blend. Even if it's less than 1%, it can really change the philosophy and the spirit of the wine. But every bottling vintage, you have multiple bottlings. The dosage varies by vintage... Because no. you determine, and you have different showings, Cordon Rouge or, you know, the other ones. The dosage varies? No, I, I'm doing the exercise at the opposite. So I do at the opposite at most of the people. So I fix the dosage for every cuvee. Okay. But I'm using different reserve wine. Ah. So an important thing to you, dosage, is the application, is it's part of a reserve wine. The reserve wine is important, or as important, yeah. as the addition of sugar. Yeah, to, to uh, and that really has an effect. If you just took any wine and you know dissolve the sugar, it would. It's it's a huge effect. It is a it, when you understand the the, the the importance of the dosage, you because it's it's really the wine you use. And and for me, I have a huge collection of reserve wine I can I can use. Just to give you an example, if the Cordon Rouge, the Grand Cordon, is normally aging two and a half, three years. If the aging is faster than I was, you was supposed, because it's always you have a dream or you think about, yeah, it will age like this. If it's aging faster, I will I will need to refresh a little bit the, the, the wine, and I will use a Cordon Rouge blend, which is quite young in terms of reserve, right. like maybe two years. Right. If at the opposite, the aging is slower than supposed, I will use a very old reserve wine, like four, five, six years, to bring what is missing, which is the structure, the complexity, right. and the roundness. And it's why I decided to fix the dosage and to work more on the reserve wine. So that's that's an important 
touch in addition yeah. to get to the style and make the wine. It's spicy. It's salt and pepper. Right. Um, Didier, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about um, the different champagnes in your house. Um, if we have time, I want to subject you to our wine list, which is a bunch of questions. And you brought in a rosé which we're going to taste and evaluate on the air. We're talking to Didier Mariotti. He is the chef du cab at GH Mum, the Champagne House in Champagne. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Grape Nation on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Brooklyn Botanic Garden, a stunning 52-acre garden in the heart of Brooklyn, featuring spectacular plant displays year-round. On Thursday, August 23rd, Brooklyn Botanic Garden will host the Beer and Bocce Benefit, a one-of-a-kind garden party featuring lawn games, live music, and unlimited beer tastings by some of Brooklyn's top beer makers. Proceeds from the Beer and Bocce Benefit provide essential support for the garden's educational and community programs. And mark your calendars for the annual Chili Pepper Festival on Saturday, September 29th. New York's hottest fall tradition will set the garden ablaze with scorching bands from around the world, dozens of fiery food artisans, and hours of chili chocolate debauchery. Learn more about Brooklyn Botanic Garden at bbg.org. We're back. You're listening to The Grape Nation. My guest is Didier Mariotti. He is the chef du cave at GH Mum. Um, Didier, I want to talk about the actual champagnes and all the showings or most of the showings you have at GH Mum. Um, I think you are most famous for that red-banded Cordon Rouge. Um, You brought in a rosé today, but walk me through um, the wines, the champagnes um, that the house produces. Yeah, we have quite a large range, in fact. So in the U.S., you have uh, the Grand Cordon and the Grand Cordon Rosé. Uh, we are just launching a new collection. But in France, we have like nine different wines. That are not available here? Not not all, but not it's, all. it's coming. So uh, you have three more wines available in the U.S. right now. Are they more... The French wines, are they more vintage, reserve? I mean... Yeah, to give for to give you an example, what we are launching now in the US is is a quite limited collection in terms of volume, but it's it's very exclusive and unique product. So okay. we have a Blanc de Blanc, which is only from one village, which is a Grand Cru, uh, vintage 2012. We have a non-vintage Grand Cru, aging four years minimum, uh, Pinot Noir dominant, 65% Pinot Noir, 35% Chardonnay. And we have a Blanc de Noir, which is 100% Pinot Noir from Verzonnet, Grand Cru Village, uh, 2008 vintage. And the last one, which will be introduced soon in, in, in the U.S., will be a Rosé, also Grand Cru. Okay. Then you, we have a vintage. We have a Prestige Cuvée Lalou. Spell that. Lalou, L-A-L-O-U. Okay which was the, 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 the former um, president of the house and owner of the house right. uh, until he died in 1973. We have a sweet wine. Uh, Still or sparkling? Sparkling. Sparkling. Uh, yeah. 
What's the uh, blend? What's the grape there? So we use more Pinot Meunier because the Pinot Meunier okay. is, is a good uh, varietal when you when you want to bring structure and, and freshness at the same time. Right. So in the U.S., the most available, the predominant wine is the Cordon Rouge. The Grand Cordon. The Grand Cordon, the yeah, uh, with Red, the red band. Sauce, yeah. And we're going to taste in a few minutes the uh, Rosé. Um, and there'll be some other moon things coming to yeah. the States soon, too. All right. Um, before I forget, if people want more information, the website, they can get more information. I'm at, sure, yeah. Okay. Just Google mom, G-H mom. Yeah, yeah. All right. I want to get your take. We always ask our guests their preferences um, on what they're drinking. It's called the wine list, and... I want you to kind of buzz through these quickly. And you could do champagne and non-champagne. But these are Didier Mariotti uh, preferences and answers, all right? So what are you drinking now? What's on your table? What are you exploring, experimenting, you know, besides champagne or other champagnes? You trying anything seasonal? Um, I was in South Africa a month ago, so okay. I... Uh, I brought back some um, Pinot Noir samples from some South Africa. So I'm, Mostly I, Pinot? Any Shannons or anything? Uh, no, I was just focusing on Pinot. Okay. Because I, I, I love Pinot Noir. Do you, have you tried the South African Pinots? Do yeah. Do you like them? Yeah. Okay. Uh, quite interesting. Uh, also, uh, Pinot Noir from New Zealand. Okay. A little cooler? Yeah. Nice. All right, so you're drinking some Pinot Noir. I love Pinot Noir. So my favorite is Pinot Noir. Okay. From all all countries, and then I also like the Côte du Rhône. Côte du Rhône. Yeah, Chateau Neuf. Uh, this part. Okay. Good stuff. Rhone wines. All right. Does Didier have a favorite wine and food pairing? Not that you eat it every week or every month, but is there something that? You love, and you're not allowed on this show to say champagne and oysters. Although that's a good answer. I need a different one. Because um, that's too obvious. Champagne and oysters is too obvious, yes. But you can give me champagne and something else, um, or give me another wine and something else. No, last time I had... Um, it was a tempura with champagne, Okay, uh, which was amazing. That's great, because champagne and fried. Yeah. Is delicious. Was um, it meat or vegetables? All. Oh, okay. All. It was amazing just to see that it was working with all, and it was it was a, it was a, I would say the simple grand cordon, and it was pairing perfectly with tempuras. It was a good souvenir, and I also a, a good souvenir with sake. Sake. I, 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 I had a, a very good, interesting day in Japan and tasting about forty different sake. Wow. And it was uh, I was impressed by by the diversity of sake. Yeah, we, we did a sake show a couple of months ago. It's a terrific uh, yeah. drink. All right, so tempura and champagne is so obvious, but nobody's ever given us that answer yep. before. We've gotten champagne and fried chicken, popcorn, but never tempura. That's a good one. All right, do you have a favorite wine restaurant and or bar? Now, what would make this question easiest for you to answer? Is it in the Champagne region? Is it in France? Is it in New York? Or any of those? Is there a place that does wine selection, the knowledge that's just great to walk into? My house. Your house? Okay, I'm coming over. 
So is it well stocked? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> okay. And you have some food around? Yeah. Okay. Good answer. First time ever on that. All right. Do you have a favorite all-time wine? Is there a wine or two that you drank in the past that just continues to resonate with you? Yeah, my my cousin wines from from Chambertin. Uh, it's really amazing, and I love. I means we spend a lot of time together. Any specific? Did you say any maker? Any producer? Uh, my cousin is um, is from uh, um, Eric Rousseau. Okay, spell for me. Rousseau, R O U S S E A U. Not Armand Rousseau. See, si, yeah. Armand. Oh, okay. <laughs> Who doesn't like that? <laughs> okay, <laughs> you got good taste. All right. So any, sp- so the the Gevrey Chambertin Rousseau. Yeah. Any specific I, vintage that? No, I. For me, it's more the philosophy. The winemaking is making wine. So good answer. It's so different to other wines, and but I've I've been been since I'm I'm kid. I've, I've been very lucky to be able to, to drink the wine. You, you are, very much. Um, this may be hard for you to answer because we have a lot of sommeliers in here and you know different winemakers, but I always ask everyone to tell me the best wine around 15, 20 U.S. dollars, a red and a white that you would recommend. And it goes towards somebody like Hannah who's going to a party and wants to bring a nice bottle, doesn't want to spend a lot of money, but doesn't want to bring a crappy bottle. You can give me a region, a grape, a specific wine. Can you think of a good value white and a good value red? Honestly, no, because I don't know the price here. Okay. How about in France? What would you say? Okay, right now, uh, oh, yesterday we were here. Okay, at Roberta's? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I ordered uh, Beaujolais from the winist. Great answer. Beaujolais because and Cru Beaujolais? I don't remember, the. it was on the wine list. Okay. And, and for me, Beaujolais right now is, is an amazing wine because the price is, is quite low. And, and it's and a wonderful wine. Exactly. So give me a white that's sort of in that similar category. A white. I will go to Chablis. Okay. Like Ch- Petit Chablis. Petit Chablis, like, something like that. Uh, I like are, the freshness and the, uh, of, of the Chablis. Didier, you did very good. Okay? You gave me two good answers. Nobody's ever going to fight you on Beaujolais and Chablis. <laughs> okay? That's a win and a win. All right, listen. We always end the show with um, our weekly wine sip, and every week we taste a different wine on air. Um, for our weekly wine sip this week... Um, Didier was kind enough to bring in a Mum Cordon Rouge Rosé. Did I say it right? Grand Cordon Rosé, yeah. Okay. Um, so first of all, tell me about what we're drinking. Give me a little background on everything. Blend, non-vintage, so and the, then we'll evaluate it. The blend, so I always start by making the Grand Cordon blend. Um, and then I will use this blend to create the rosé, in fact. And in Champagne, we are able to blend red wine and white wine to, to make rosé. For one very specific reason, because we, we have to control the color, and the color is part of the house style. So we have to recreate the same color every year. And, and by blending, we are able to, to maintain the same color and the same style. Okay. So 
more Pinot gives you more color, or is it skin contact? It's skin contact, but at the end, it depends on the vintage. So the red wine will be different intensity of color depending on the vintage. It's why I, I, I want to be able to blend red and white together. Okay. I'm using Pinot Noir and Pinot Meunier for the red wine. I'm working with very specific growers, and they know exactly what I'm looking for. So I'm not looking for tannins. I'm lo- really looking for the fruits and the color. Really? I want to keep it very fresh. And for me, if you take the Grand Cordon and the Rosé together, um, they are very different. Uh, for the Grand Cordon, I really try to express as much as possible the fruits and the juicy of the fruits and, and keep it like fresh fruits. Right. For the Rosé, for me, the idea is really like I always think about the summer. So for me, it's really like what I call a sunny and a thirsty wine. It's a wine just to refresh. So I want to make it quite light, in fact, in terms of flavor. Um, and it's more about freshness. It's more about uh, something sharp. Uh, and, and the dosage is lower than the Grand Cordon because I just want to, to have this feeling about refreshment. And when, when it's summer, when it's like during the day and you're enjoying the pool or the beach, <laughs> you just want to refresh your palate, which is which something which is easy to drink. So you made it for that. Yeah, that works. exactly. Um, just curiosity for me. Um, how much Chardonnay? Low, right? Uh, 25%, something oh, like that. Yeah. more than I thought. Okay. Um, all right, let's give this champagne a sniff, and let's throw it over the tongue, and let's describe it to our audience. Hannah, is there any way you can go out and get a glass and drink with us? You can make noise. It's okay. Um, all right, so Didier, let's talk color. You talked about achieving that color. I see kind of a deep salmon. How do you describe it? Yeah, it's 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 salmon color. Beautiful. It's light. It's vibrant. Yep. Um, and it gives this idea when you look to the rose, this rose that is it's um, it's a fresh rose. All right. Don't get ahead of yourself. We're just talking color. Yeah. All right. Bubbles. You maintain the bubbles you want. They're little, tiny, small, tiny, nice small. bubbles. Yeah. That's what you want, right? Yeah. Okay. All right. Help me with the nose. Give me your nose descriptors. Um, red fruits first. Um, I would say... Anything specific? Not, not strawberry. Maybe more the raspberry. Okay. Uh, I will find some um, blood orange. And something for me which is like um, some minerality, um, chalk and paper. Yeah. Chalk, you have this chalk, but also you have some paper, some spicy. I I get that paper and chalk. That's what's different and interesting about this. You know, usually you, you sniff a champagne and you get that classic champagne. It's a little chalky and papery. That's yep. what it is. All right, so that's the nose. So some raspberry, red fruits, chalky paper, chalk from the soil, right? All right, let's go mouthfeel. For me, it's really this idea of... Um, it's like a speedboat. It's very straight to the point. Okay, and what does that mean? It what is he talking about? It's It's a... For me, it's, it, you, you can feel the dynamic of the wine, so it's all about freshness at the beginning, just to wake the palate. Right. I'm not, I'm not uh, building the wine to, to bring too much structure. So the mid-palate is quite um, sharp. Yes. Vibrant. 
And, and the finish is interesting because the finish is based on the bitterness. Yes, I agree with all of that. I always understand and feel it, but I have trouble describing it. And I would assume you would do a good job at it. And you did. You nailed it. Um, let's talk palate. Do any of the nose descriptors carry over to the palate to you? More the, the paper and the chalk. Yeah? Yes. There is, on the initial attack, there's that paper. Um, any fruit? What other descriptors after you get by that? For the fruit, I would say more raspberry. Okay. Um, like smashed raspberry. Yeah, raspberry. like a macerated yeah, raspberry. Exactly, exactly. Not popping a fresh no, whole yeah. one in your mouth. Yeah, you have some juicy of the raspberry at the same time. Yeah. But it's not too wrong. No. That paper thing, now that you mentioned it, it, it's it's so prominent, you know, in a pleasing way. You, you're right about that. All right, so let's talk about what foods this particular, a rosé, which is not your, you know, Blanc de Blanc or predominantly white grape <coughs> champagne. What what are good pairings for this? Um, some some sardine on the barbecue. Bar- barbecued sardines. I think Hannah's going home tonight and cooking that. Um, what else? What else? Um, some charcuterie. Char- it holds up to the meats and the cheeses? Yeah. Okay, mustards, breads, all that stuff. Mm. It's got the acidity yeah. and fullness and all that. All right, give me one more. One more? A food food. A food food. Does it go with pork? No. Is it fish? Is it shellfish? Maybe more fish. More fish? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, like a grilled fish or... Uh, I don't know how to translate in... in bar en croûte de sel. Okay. So, uh, it's like you cook with salt. The fish is uh, surrounded by salt, big salt. Right. Like a kebab or something. No, it's no, no it's, it's covered by salt. And you put it in, oh, in the Oh, like a salt-baked fish. Yeah. Okay, so it'll hold up to that. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, all right, those are good ones. All right, so are you... I know you like this wine. Are you happy with the way it came out, the style? Is, did you achieve what you set out to do? I have to be happy, and um, even I know I can do better. Okay. Uh, I always try to improve everything because... I mean, it's, it's, it's a never-ending story. Um, when you do the blend, there is a moment you have to say, I have to stop. Right. I'm happy. I know I can do better, but I don't have the time to do that. Right. Next year, it will be better. Right. So I always try to improve every year. Do you ever make a wine where it's just not exactly what you wanted it to be? Most of the time. Most of the time? Yeah. So you're always aspiring to yeah. make that it's, better wine. It's, okay. it's, it's his job you have to be humble. That doesn't mean it's bad. It's just you no, want to make better. Yeah. Right? Okay. All right, Didier, we're going to wrap up the show. I got to get you out of here. We've been talking to Didier Mariotti. Didier is the chef du cave at GH Mom, the Champagne House in France. If you have a question, suggestion, wine happening, or event, hit me up at sam at com. That's sam at com. 
Follow us on Facebook at The Grape Nation. We're going to post Didier's wine list. He had some interesting answers. And I'm going to give you more information on the wine that we drank uh, during our weekly wine sip. Everything will be posted on our social media sites. You can follow us on Instagram at SBenRuby. And always follow the hashtag The Grape Nation. Make sure you follow those, Hannah. Um, and on Twitter, at Ben Ruby. Also subscribe to the Grape Nation podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Write a review if you like the show. Didier, where can we find you and GH Mom on social media if we'd like to? Do you ever post on Instagram or Facebook? or? I have a posting on Instagram. My okay, what's your Instagram account? <laughs> Come on, I'll get you some followers. It's Mario SR2B. Okay, that makes no sense, but we'll go with that. It's my nickname. Okay, I'll, I'll post that. And Google GH Mom, and there's a very rich website with a lot of history and a lot of information. Um, I want to thank our guest, Didier Mariotti, Chef Dukava, GH Mom. Thank you for bringing in the uh, champagne. I want to thank, as always, our engineer, Vitor, and everyone at the Heritage Radio Network. Um, our annual summer fun drive has just commenced. We need you, the listener, to help donate to heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Didi, I hate to, hate to tell you this, but I need our listeners to go out and maybe skip buying one bottle of Cordon Rouge and make a donation to Heritage Radio. And then the following week, they can go out and buy the uh, champagne um, because we're in the midst of our summer fundraiser and we need help from our listeners. And we thank you for doing that. I'm Sam Ben Ruby, and you've been listening to The Grape Nation. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>